Well, good morning, CBC. It is always um, uh, an honor to, to preach, to open God's Word together with you. Um, and as we wrap up our kind of our, our mini sermon series, um, uh, I, was trying, I was trying to think of a name because it, it was just kind of by, by God's design that uh, me and, and Jeff kind of preach very similar things. Um, and so I was trying to think of a name like, um, like Focus and Fear, uh, but I just kept thinking of something like Patrick Tonsil Sermon or something like that, or his tonsillectomy sermon series. Um, but whatever way it's however it's remembered, uh, I'm just uh, it's it's an honor to be here, uh, and I am excited to get back to Jonah. I don't know about you guys, but having that little cliffhanger and like okay we're in Jonah and then we stop, um, you know by by again God's design there. But I'm I'm uh, I'm ready to get back into Jonah, so I'm, I'm looking forward to that. Uh, next week. All right, so turn to your Bibles, uh, turn your Bibles to Psalm 27, and uh, today we're, we're looking at a Psalm of David, Psalm 27, and I think this is a great way to close out our little sermon series that we've been doing, um, just kind of recapping, we, we've, we've seen uh, like a, a focus on Christ, we've seen a, uh, we've been encouraged to live as citizens of heaven especially in this dark world. And then, and then last week, our brother Jeff uh, gave us some, some practical principles uh, on how to deal with anxiety. I was meditating on, on these things and all these different topics. And uh, what I wanted to do today is to see how all these topics are operational in the life of the believer. And, and I think we can listen to this, these ideas, these sermons, um, and, and, and kind of put them in separate categories. And I think sometimes we fail to see how they are all working together. Um, um, and when they are working together, when, they, when we are pursuing Christ, when we're in the word and in the prayer, uh, in prayer as, as Jeff talked about last week, uh, we could endure any difficulty that comes our way. We could face our troubles, and we could face our troubles not, not with fear, but with an, with an attitude of worship. And we see that kind of, that fearless faith, is what I'm going to call it, that fearless faith in David. Right, think about David, when, when he first starts out, when you go into 1 Samuel, the middle of 1 Samuel, we, we see David as, as a young boy, like 16 to 20, somewhere around there. And, and he is called to deliver food to his brothers at the battle line where Israel and the Philistines are fighting. I don't know if you remember what he says when he gets up there. He goes over there and he hears... Goliath, right? This, he's, Goliath mocking Israel. And David says, who is this uncircumcised Philistine that he should taunt the armies of the living God? Now, no one in Israel, at least not recorded, has said that. Uh, that this is a bold faith that David has. And then David, as you know the story, eventually is going to go up to battle Goliath. And as he's getting ready to, to battle David says, the Lord who delivered me from the paw of the lion and from the paw of the bear, he will deliver me from the hand of this Philistine. This is coming from this young man who, who had no, no battle training. Uh, he was a, a shepherd boy, now in the midst of a fight, um, <laughs> fighting this, this huge monster of a man. And he's asked, where did this faith come from? Who is he trusting in? How is he trusting in the Lord? He's not trusting in, in himself. 
And that's, that's that fearless faith. But when, when we look at Psalm 27, we're not seeing that fearless faith. Fearless faith isn't always running into battle. Fearless faith isn't always having an attitude that you can do all things. I think fearless faith sometimes looks like, looks like waiting. I think fearless faith sometimes is, is simply trusting that God will provide. Fearless faith can be crying out to the Lord and just knowing that he hears you. And I think we see this, this, this side of David in Psalm 27. He, he gives us a real look of what fearless faith looks like. And so in our psalm today, we're going to see four features of faith, four features of faith that enable us, that enable us to fears, fearlessly face our troubles and trust in a faithful God. And those four features of faith, a lot of Fs today, four features of faith. Uh, the fearlessness of faith, um, the focus of faith, the cry of faith, and the resilience of faith. Those are our four features that we're looking at. The, the fearlessness of faith, the focus of faith, the, the cry of faith, and the resilience of faith. And, and my hope this morning for you guys is that you'll be, again, encouraged to place your trust in God in, in every area of your life, that you, that you will lean on the character of God, on what God has already done, so that, so that you can serve him fearlessly, and so you can go through this next week, right? this next week coming up, you can get through this next week without anxiety or fear or distraction, and you have a focused attitude of worship. So with that in mind, let's read Psalm 27. It starts off, a Psalm of David. The Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? The Lord is the defense of my life. Whom shall I dread? When evildoers come upon, or came upon me to devour my flesh, my adversaries and my enemies, they stumbled and fell. Though a host encamp against me, my heart will not fear. Though war rise, arise against me, in spite of this, I shall be confident. One thing I have asked from the Lord, that I shall seek, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life, to behold the beauty of the Lord and to meditate in his temple. For in the day of trouble, he will conceal me in his tabernacle. In the secret place of his tent, he will hide me. He will lift me up on a rock, and now my head will be lifted up above my enemies around me. And I will offer in his tent sacrifices with shouts of joy. I will sing, yes, I will sing praises to the Lord. Hear, O Lord, when I cry with my voice. Be gracious to me and answer me. When you said, seek my face, my heart said to you, my, your face, O Lord, I shall seek. Do not hide your face from me. Do not turn your servant away in anger. You have been my help. Do not abandon me nor forsake me, O God of my salvation. For my father and my mother have forsaken me, but the Lord will take me up. Teach me your way, O Lord, and lead me in a level path because of my foes. Do not deliver me over to the desire of my adversaries, for false witnesses have risen against me, and such as breathe out violence. I would have despaired unless I had believed that I would see the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. 
Wait for the Lord. Be strong and let your heart take courage. Yes, wait for the Lord. Father, we come before you now and, and ask you that you would help us to, to have this psalm come alive in our own hearts. Lord, show us how we could be trust, how we could trust in you more. Show us areas in our life where, where, where there is fear, where there is anxiety. Lord, I pray that, like the psalmist, that that you would, that you would hear our prayers and that we would come before you and and pour out our souls. Father, especially this hour, as we, as we study your word, we ask that you would minister to us, encourage us, strengthen our faith. Praise Jesus' name. Amen. So Psalm 27 starts off with, it says, the Psalm of David. So we know it's written by David. Uh, we don't know what, what, what part of his life it's written. It's, and it's a little hard to tell because we, 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 we see in Psalm 27 that there are, there are enemies, um, that he's running away, that he's hiding. Um, and, you know, that happens quite a bit in David's life. You can think of when he's running away from Saul. You can think of when he's, when he's hiding from, uh, when he has to flee Jerus- Jerusalem because of Absalom. Uh, there's times that he goes a- in war against nations. So we don't know the, the exact occasion here. Whatever the case is, though, whatever the time of David's life is taking place, David clearly had enemies who, who, who wanted to hurt him, who wanted to, to slander him and, and to kill him. Now, we may not be in that boat, right? We may not have people right now actively trying to kill us. Praise the Lord. But we have our own desperate dis- situations that come up. And this week, you might find yourself to be in your own desperate situation. Uh, you could be coming out of a week where you were in, that, in those situations. You know, we have a lot of financial situations right now with loss of jobs or cuts in pay. Maybe it's not financial at all. Maybe it's related to, to relationships. Right, there's a strained relationship with a spouse or with a child or a friend or a coworker, a parent. Or perhaps, if you're more like me, it's just the weight of the day-to-day responsi- responsibilities that's bearing down. Whatever the case is, whatever is causing you to fear, whatever is causing you to feel unsettled, I think this psalm by David provides a, a, a helpful perspective. And look how he starts. He starts by describing his fearless trust in God. And this is our, our first point here. Our first point, fearlessness of faith. And we've seen that in verses 1 through 3. Now, I just read it, so I'm not going to read it again. Um, but if you look at verses 1 through 3, um, you, know, you would think that if David had these real threats, that would be the first thing he says. Uh, what's in verse 2 would be in verse 1. Lord, help me. There are these people who are trying to devour my flesh. But he doesn't go there first. That's not where David begins the psalm. He starts by describing God. And what an important thing, even before we dive into that, what an important thing to remember when, when fear starts to creep in. Right? When you start to feel like you're being surrounded or weighed down, that you can't do everything that's given to you. To take your eyes off of the present circumstances, and I'm not saying 
I'm not, I'm not advocating a, a form of escapism. I'm not telling you just to ignore it and, and don't deal with it. But to take your eyes off the present circumstances for a moment and to tell yourself theologies, to tell yourself who God is, and instead of repeating in your mind the nuances of circumstances, and instead of saying how difficult this day is going to be, tell yourself how powerful God is. Tell yourself how faithful God has always been. And look how David describes the Lord. He first calls him light, right? In verse 1, Lord, the Lord is my light. So Lord is light. Now, the light in the Old Testament talks about a few things. If you look up light in the Old Testament, you're going to run into a lot. Um, it talks about life. It talks about blessings. Uh, light talks about favor. It talks about understanding, right? Uh, Proverbs. Uh, but I think the emphasis here is to contrast the darkness that the enemies bring. That the Lord for David is that ray of hope of deliverance. Is that ray of hope that, that dispels the darkness surrounding him. It is life-giving protection for David. And we certainly see that in Christ. So I'm, I'm looking at David, and I see Christ. So how, I mean, John 8. John 8 is an excellent comparison here. He is the light that came into darkness. He is the light of the world that whoever follows him will not walk in the darkness, but will have the light of life. So when we see Lord is light, we think of we think of, of of our Savior coming to the world, coming to darkness, and shining light, shining this amazing grace to us. And closely related to that, the David, uh, David uses the next word, salvation. Now, salvation in the broadest sense is deliverance from evil. So if, if you're looking at David in this psalm right now, um, it, he is most likely talking about deliverance from his enemies, right? And that is a form of deliverance from evil. Now, of course, we have salvation in Christ, right? we have, uh, that we were saved from sins, that, that we are not receiving what we justly deserve. What do we justly deserve, right? It's, it's eternal hell because of our sin, eternal punishment in hell. But because Christ died on the cross for us, because Christ died for sinners, we know that's not our destiny for those of us who, who believe in Christ. And even, even more than that, one of the reasons why I'm, I'm excited to, uh, later on this year, get back into, into Revelation with our pastor, we know Jesus is going to prevail against evil. Right? We know how this story ends. That it may seem like that evil is ruling currently right now. Uh, it may seem like it ha has an upper hand. But God will ultimately defeat evil. God will defeat Satan. God will defeat death. I mean, there's, there's going to be, I mean, that's one fr funeral I'm, I'm looking forward to going to, right? The, the funeral of death and of Satan. There's coming a time where th those things will be no more. We have that salvation in Christ. And if you go to this, the third line of verse 1, the Lord is the defense of my life. Now, that's, that's translated a couple different ways. If you're having the ESV, you'll say stronghold. Some uh, different translati translations might say refuge. And you could picture a, um, a, a shelter in a storm, right? We talk, there was a, uh, recently, we had the hurricanes going on the East Coast. And if a hurricane's coming, you know, that hurricane has strong forces from the wind, and you want to get a shelter that could endure that, 
that uh, those those winds that could that could provide you safety. So you need something strong, something that could outlast a storm. And for us, we go to the Lord. The Lord is that shelter. The Lord can outlast any storm that is going on with you right now. I like Proverbs 18, 18.10. And it says, The name of the Lord is a strong tower. The righteous run into it and are safe. And that's what David sees the Lord. That's what David sees Yahweh. Yahweh is that safety, is that security. So he runs to him. And we could run to God. We could rest in the work that God has done. His, we could rest in the fact that his perfect plan that he has will unfold. And we could rest in, the, in Christ's perfect work on the cross. There's nothing that could shake that. He is our rock. So David says this. So David, introducing us to Psalm 27, says God is light. God is salvation. God is a place of refuge, right? He's a, str- a stronghold. Now, if we just stop there, we just take those facts about God. I think what we have there is poor theology. I think there's something missing here. It's poor because those facts on their own, it's not not biblical theology. It's not not doing what biblical theology is supposed to do. It's it's factual, um, but we should say this is what God is. That by itself is not comforting. It's accurate but it it doesn't produce change. It's poor theology because I skipped a crucial word. Look back at verse 1. The Lord is my light and my salvation. The Lord is the defense of my life. The reason why I said it was poor theology is because theology is personal. I think theology tells you about relationship. When you say God is my light, when you say God is my salvation, my place of refuge, it's telling you who God is to you, but in doing that, it's telling you who you are to God. If, if God is your father, let's say, now we, we call the Lord our father. If God is your father, what does that mean to you? Well, it's a child. If Christ is your shepherd, then you are his sheep. You say, okay, that's great. What does that have to do with fear? Well, everything. has everything to do with fear. When David says, whom shall I fear, verse 1, and he says it, you know, something similar, whom shall I dread? Right, who shall cause me to tremble? The, uh, the, the answer there is, is, is no one. No one should call that because of who you have, who God is to you. It's because he understands who God is, and therefore he understands who he is to God, that, that fear, because of these enemies, is, is a mute point. There is no fear there because he knows who God is. All those attributes of God that we've talked about, that he's light, salvation, that he's a place of refuge, all those attributes of God are to David's benefit. They're not just something in a textbook. They're not just something that we talk about in passing or have an intellectual conversation on. These are real things that affect how you live your life. David knows he's going to be protected. David knows that his salvation is secure. David knows that there's no one greater than God. 
I mean, look at verse 3. I mean, yes, he has, I mean, uh, let me step back. L- look at verse 2. Verse 2, he has, he has these people de- who, who are coming after him, who, who have come after him to devour the flesh. But what happened to them? It says there they stumbled and fell. There's, there's something that David could look back to and say, this is God acting like God. This is my God acting like my salvation, like my shelter, like my light. And we go to verse 3. Now, verse 3, there's a host encamped against me. There's an army encamping against David. And what does he say? My heart will not fear. And in the Hebrew, that's really emphatic. It's, there's an army encamped against me, and my heart will never fear. He stands confident because he knows who God is to him. He has his theology in place. And when you're face-to-face with a fear, when you deal with something unexpected and and the troubles of life are coming at you, like like that army is encamped against you, that's where your theology matters. To have a fearless faith, to be able to approach those troubles in life fearlessly, you need to understand who God is. Not only who God is, but who God is to you. Uh, flip with me really quick to, to Matthew 10. I want to show you something in Matthew 10. Talk about fear and knowing who God is. Go to Matthew 10, and we're going to look at verse 28. And I want you to see who God is. Matthew 10, verse 28. Jesus is talking to his his, uh, disciples. Do not fear those who kill the body, but are unable to kill the soul. Which which is pretty much everybody, right? Everyone in the flesh is death. You can even put put Satan there. Satan does not have the ability to kill the soul. But rather, fear him who is able to destroy both soul and body in hell. Now you say, okay, we're, trying about, we're talking about not being fearful. How is that supposed to help me? Now we're talking about God can destroy my soul and body? Yes, yes, he can. But what makes us, what, what we, where we get the, the courage, where we get the fearlessness is what comes next. Look at the next verse. Are not two sparrows sold for a cent, and yet not one of them will fall to the ground apart from your father? But the very hairs of your head are all numbered, so do not fear. You are more valuable than many sparrows. What I said about theology, you have to have proper theology, and you have to know who God is and who you are to God. If you understand God as the all-powerful God who can destroy body and soul, and that same God is your Father who loves you, who sent his son to die for you, what else do you have to fear? We can truly say that if God is for us, who can be against us? That is the fearless, fearlessness of faith. That's what gets us to look at trials, to look at troubles that come, across, that come to us and approach them fearlessly. Now David uses that fearlessness and he, he gets focused. Look at, look at verse 4. Verse 4 says, One thing I have asked in the Lord, 
and that I shall seek, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life. Now, th- that little stanza here, that verses 4 through 6, begins with, with a very emphatic one thing. It's a singular focus. There's one thing he is asking from the Lord and one thing that he's seeking. Now, does that sound familiar? Maybe remember a few weeks ago, Philippians 3, Paul was saying, one thing I do, forget what lies behind and forgetting what lies behind and pushing forward to what lies ahead. I press on to the goal of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Is that one thing, was that singular focus that Paul's talking about back in Philippians 3, David has the same thing here. Is the same intent, same, same focus. Now, for David, what is that one thing that he's seeking? David is surrounded by enemies. Uh, if I was surrounded by enemies, if I was in my little, I know, I, I picture David kind of up on a mountain, and that mountain kind of goes down, almost like a volcano, but not a volcano. If I was up in, that, up in that mountain, in that little fortress, and I said, okay, one thing I have to ask for the Lord. Um, here are these armies, here are these people. You know what? A mini machine gun or a minigun would be awesome. Just walk out there, and then enemy's gone. Or, or even better yet, just have the Lord destroy them. He, he's done it before. It's not unlike the Lord to be a warrior and to, and to fight for Israel. He doesn't ask for that. I would think David would want to ask for some sort of, some sort of relief from his current situation, but he doesn't ask for that. David's mind goes towards the temple. That is what his one thing is. That I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life. Now remember during this time, the, the temple hadn't been built yet. There's a, there's a tent of meeting that the tabernacle uh, is in. People will gather there to worship the Lord. And David said, I want to go there. I want to be with God's people. I want to be in God's presence. And why? why? I mean, okay, yes, sounds great, but why do you want to do that, David? Well, the next line tells us. To behold the beauty of the Lord and to meditate in his temple. He wants to be before God. He wants to be in the temple so that he can worship God for being God. That he could see God and just fall before him. This is coming from a guy who's surrounded by enemies right now, surrounded by an army. And notice what's absent in this verse. There's no talk about enemies. There's no talk about his situation, right? Um, uh, David is not mentioned that at all. He sees something greater. His one thing is to focus on the Lord. Now, this is how we confront fear and difficulty. We turn our focus to God. We start to look at who God is. We start to look at what he's done for us and we marvel at the grace shown to us at the cross. We meditate on the Father's love, not on our current circumstances. And I think there's a danger here for for all of us. There's a danger that we start to make, that we make relief our focus. You know, we wake up every day and Instead of focusing on God and seeking his beauty, the focus becomes discontentment. Just muttering to yourself, when is this going to be over? When, when is that person going to leave me alone? Why am I always doing all the work? And, and we start to, that, you know, that becomes our focus. And at that point, 
you're not worshiping worshiping at the temple of God. At that point, you're worshiping at the temple of self. You've gone to worship yourself because there's something that you want that you're not getting. You know, when I think about that and I think about our current state and how many people are are fearful and anxious, I mean, there's no wonder there's fear there. There is something greater, something, something more beautiful than just relief. Something more awesome than just changing your circumstances. Now, I don't, I don't want to say this and just sound like I'm not denying the difficulty of trials. Okay? The, the trials are certainly hard. But those trials, those difficulties are, are, are not what you're about. The difficulties that you face do not define the rela- your relationship with God. The difficulties that you face do not define the relationship with others. Those difficulties, those trials are not your one thing. Don't make it your one thing. No. Your one thing is to seek God, is to pursue Christ. It is, to coming, it is coming to Him and worship and meditating on his goodness and grace. And it's only when, when you're coming before God and when you're meditating before him, can you, can you accurately assess your problems anyway? Can you face your problems without fear, without being overwhelmed? And because light, because the light of God penetrating the darkness around you, you see things for what they are. Now look how this affects David. So David said, here's my one thing. In verses 5 to 6, David says this, For in the day of trouble he will conceal me in his tabernacle. In the secret place of his tent he will hide me. He will lift me up on a rock, and now my head will be lifted up above my enemies around me. So David says, here's my one thing. I want to be in the house of the Lord all the days of my life. And I know if I'm pursuing that, God takes care of the rest. David is expressing here a a safety that is available in God's presence. Um, Last week, our brother Jeff preached from Matthew 6. I think Matthew 6 is so appropriate for this. Matthew 6 says, For your heavenly Father knows that you need all these things, all these things being clothing, being food, life, But seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things are be added to you. Now, when I when I when I read this, and when I read that passage in the past, you know, I tend to think that that doesn't match my experience. And I've heard others say that too. That doesn't match my experience. If I pursue God, then everything else is taken care of. What can happen to our thinking is that we conflate what we need and what we want. And that's a, that's a real danger. That takes away um, our mindset. And it starts to, fo- get, it, it starts to set things, uh, set, it starts to set our mind on things other than that one thing we need to be focused on. Rather than setting our minds on things above, we, s- we start to focus things on earth. And, and we forget um, what we, we start to focus in on what we don't have on earth and then we start to lose our focus on what we do have in heaven. 
You know, don't conflate what you need and what you want. That doesn't mean you don't strive for what you, for what you want. You know, there's nothing wrong with, with seeking after for some, something you want if it honors the Lord. But you first submit yourself to God. You first enjoy God. You, I mean, the, the riches in Christ that we have, what else do we need? So God is faithful to provide. When God is faithful to provide, we're seeking after God. What does that do to us? What does that do to, to David? Look at verse 6. So he says, And now my head will be lifted up above my enemies around me. And the second part of verse 6, And I will offer in his tent sacrifices with shouts of joy. Now, he could have just wrote sacrifices of praise. Right? That's, a, that's a typical terminology there. But he puts sacrifices with shouts of joy. There's an emphasis there on singing with his mouth. On going to the, to the Lord and full-on proclaiming his thankfulness to him. Full-on worshiping him. And, and look at the next line. If, if that wasn't emphasis enough, I will sing, yes, I will sing praises to the Lord. So not only does, does, does David have this focus on his faith, not only does it give him confidence, but it drives him to worship. Drives him to worship. And I can just imagine David hunkered down and, again, the enemies around him, and he's just making a set list of all the hymns he's going to sing when he gets back. He's humming those hymns in his head as, as, as the armies are chanting for his blood. David is so focused on seeking God so focused on seeing God's beauty and trusting God to act that, that he can't help himself to begin to worship. And it's just amazing what worship does in those difficult times. It's not, and I just want to say this, it's not just, it's not a mystical process, okay? When you're worshiping the Lord, it's not some mystical process that you're suddenly transformed. But worshiping changes your perspective. Singing out to the Lord Seeing out to the Lord temporarily removes us from this temporal world and teleports us to the throne of grace where we are joined with the redeemed in rightful worship of our King. I'm not sure if you experienced this before, but, but there, there are times where there's no words that you could say, that any words you say just fall flat. But in those same moments, a, a chorus from a song like, Great is thy faithfulness, just hits the spot right. It's just what we need. It's, it's just a fitting and welcomed word or welcomed song. I mean, you felt this at times when, when we are singing in church and a, and a lyric pops up and that lyric just grabs hold of your heart. That the Lord is using that to, to bring you to himself on your knees. And say so it doesn't have to be songs either. You know, we, we don't worship only through songs, but we worship through the reading of scripture. If you're reading scripture, I mean, the Lord just uses the scripture to, to show himself as the Lord, uh, 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 as, as your light and salvation. Why does it do that? Because our focus is off our problems for a moment. Our focus is not on the enemies surrounding us. It is rightfully on God's faithfulness, on God's character, on his beauty. And we just let the majesty and the might of God put those problems into perspective. That's what we do when we worship. 
So we see a fear, fearlessness of faith and a focus of faith, right? These two things is what we need in order to face our troubles fearlessly. Now David continues, and, and there's, there, there's a bit of a change here. David continues, and in verse 7, um, the tone changes. And one of the reasons I like the Psalms is because the Psalms are not, uh, they're not scared, <laughs> I don't want to say, the, the writers of the Psalms are not scared to get messy, right, to get real. And we see that in this next, next section, and this is just affirming that we're not looking at escapism here. David's not trying to hide from his enemies with his fingers in his ears and, you know, humming a merry little tune. There's a cry of faith there. Look at verse 7. Verse 7, Hear, O Lord, and when I cry with my voice, and be gracious to me and answer me. How many times does, does, does David implore the Lord, right, in, in verse 7? Hear, hear my voice when I cry, be gracious to me and answer me. Three times, three times there. You might say, what happened to the confidence of David? Didn't David had all this confidence in, in earlier verses. Where is it now? Well, it's still there. It's still there. Look at what he calls the Lord uh, later in verse 9. Verse 9, he says, you've been my help. And uh, later in verse 9, he says, oh, God, amounts my salvation. So it's still there. He's still, he's still trusting the Lord. But we see an, a certain attitude come out, an attitude of humility. And it's not to say that, that David is, is discouraged. I don't, think he's, I don't think he's discouraged from prayer. I, think, I don't think he's going to God and say, well, I prayed and, and that's it. Um, I, I think this is a, a, continually, a continuous coming before the Lord. Now, remember anyone else who implored the Lord three times? Maybe you remember Paul. Paul, when he had the thorn in the flesh, asked the Lord three times to remove it. And what did the Lord say? And he said no. The Lord said no back to him three times. And the Lord said that it is because his grace is sufficient. And I love that. I just, I just want to insert that in there because there's, there's still amazing grace when God says no. Right? When you're coming before him and you're praying, God is still pouring out amazing grace when he says no to you. So David is coming out before the Lord. He's pouring out his soul. Look at, look at verse 8. He still continues to seek, seek the Lord. Uh, when you said, seek my face, my heart said to you, your face, O Lord, I seek. He's still trusting in God's character. He's still pursuing God. And I think part of fiercely facing your trials is to remember what you know. To remember what you know about God. Is, is that theology that we talked about in the beginning coming back? That God is your light, that he's your salvation, that he's your rock. And God will act according to who he is. So David is still seeking the Lord. Now you look at uh, verses 9 through 10, and, uh, and it, becomes, it com becomes really relational. Um, you know, do not hide your face from me. Do not turn your servant away from anger. Do not abandon me nor forsake me. But I ask the question, why, why the negative petitions? Why is he saying do not? If he knows who God is. And this is why I love the psalm. There is a messiness in trials. There is a, an, an, accept, let me say this, an acceptability to come before the throne of God and pour out your soul. You don't want God to leave you, so pray, God, don't leave me. 
pray to God that you can't do this without him. This is real prayer, and this is real faith. You don't have to hold back in prayer, but you can just cry out. You could pour out your soul there. And I think the ultimate example of this, by the way, it's Christ. Think about Christ in the Garden of Gethsemane. He was in agony going there. The, the, uh, in Matthew, it says that Christ was in agony to the point of death. That's, that's Christ's words. And comes before the Lord, and, and he asks, could this cup pass from me? Is there another way? But even in Jesus' prayer, you know, he's, he's, he's sweating blood. He's falling before the Lord. But he ends it with this. Not my will be done, but yours. So when we look at prayer, and we look at that, what I call that messiness, that, that openness, this is part of human nature, not part of the sinful human nature, but it is human nature to cry out to God, to cry out to your Father, even though you know who He is. And we see that, we see that here with David. Now, really quick, verse 10. Uh, if you ever felt lonely, David can relate here. Verse 10, um, he says, For my father and my mother have forsaken me. Now, I don't think, I think that's commentary on Jesse. Um, I, I think what David is saying there is that there's no personal relationship that he has right now. But, what does he say in verse 10? But the Lord will take me up. God, that word take me up is to is essentially to adopt. God will, will, will take me as his own. I think we face troubles, when we, when we face troubles fiercely and we're, and we're trusting in relationships of, of others, I think we run into real, real danger there. The relationships that we have with others, just it, it always comes down to sinners, right? We have relationships with other sinners. Those relationships are prone to end either by death or by separation somehow. Those relationships are prone to change. Those relationships sometimes turn on you. So what relationships do you have? If sinners are out of the picture, what relationships do you have? Well, you have your relationship with God. It is God who takes us on as his own children and, 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 we, and he becomes our father. Again, there's that amazing truth of who God is and who we are to God. David's cry of faith ends with a plead. And that plead is, it, he, he wants to live a w- in a way that honors God. Look at verse 11. Teach me your way, O Lord, and lead me in a level path. He wants to be obedient to the Lord. Uh, he knows that enemies are watching him. Right? It says, because of my foes, uh, and, and that word for foes uh, could be translated as because of my watchers, because of those people who are looking at me with, with, um, with evil intentions. So he wants to live, and uh, he wants to walk in a way that's, that's, um, that is honoring to the Lord. So David is asking for help. And we need to ask for help with our obedience. Um, I think we could give ourselves too much leniency when, when there's trouble, right? When there's, when there's trials. We could give ourselves all that wiggle room. And we start to depart from God's plan. Listen, when you do that, you are putting troubles upon troubles. I hope you realize that. 
if you're in a trial and you allow yourself to do a sin because you rationalize it and because it's, you think it's needed, you're, you're making your troubles a hundred times harder than it needs to be. You might yell at an at already tense moment. Right? You might say something, something condescending in a shaky relationship. Right? You're, you're exasper- say that word. exasperating, I think that's how you say it, that relationship or that, that moment. So we need to cry out. This needs to be part of our, our troubles. When we are facing a trial or trouble, we need to cry out to God honestly and humbly and say, we need your help. We need your help to, to, to walk in your way. Lord, teach me your way. Lead me. Hold me by the hand. Lead me down that path. And help me live honorably before him. So that's the cry of faith. We saw the fearlessness of faith and the focus of faith, and, and those were encouraging. The cry of faith is real. This is how that faith is lived out. Now look at our last portion here. The last portion of the psalm, the last two verses, is the resilience of faith. So David gets out of his prayer. When we get to verse 13, he's no longer talking to the Lord. He's either talking uh, to himself. Some commentators say that he's talking to an assembly. I like to think he's talking to himself. And what does he say? He says, "Unless or, uh, I would have despaired unless I had believed that I would see the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. And he says, wait for the Lord. Be strong. And let your heart take courage. Yes, wait for the Lord. And I actually see resilience in that. And I don't know, resilience. Resilience is a key to survival. I read this, uh, this story uh, about a plane crash, and it, was, it happened a little while ago, so don't, don't worry. Uh, a plane crash in 1971. Um, uh, all passengers died, except for one. And it was a 17-year-old girl. The plane crashed in Peru, and she was stuck in the jungle for 11 days. She, and she was badly, dam- uh, ba- badly hurt. Uh, in the plane crash. Badly da- uh, she's, she's badly hurt in, in the jungle for 11 days. The things she had to do in order to get out of that jungle, I mean, that's, that's resilience. That's, that she had to remain hopeful that she would get out of there. And she had to push on forward. And, and while, I, if you ever read that story, I, I'm, the Lord was totally in her life right there. She, the Lord had her, his hand over her. Um, but that's like that resilience, right? That's that ability to, to push forward even though everything's against you. And I see this in David. There are these enemies pushing around him and yet he remains hopeful in God. He remains hopeful that his deliverer will come and meet him. I think uh, if you look at the verb in verse 13, it says, unless I had believed, that believed is not just an acknowledgement of fact. That word for believed is the same word that Jesus or that comes from the same word that Jesus uses for amen, amen. It says verily, verily, truly, truly. David knew this to be a certainty. I am certain that I am going to see the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. He is certain that the, he will see God act in his life. He asks, well, what if, what if God's goodness doesn't come fast enough? What if he doesn't deliver me from a trial? What do I do then? 
is actually pretty simple. And I'm finding as I continue on in life and get a little bit older, I have one gray hair right here on my chin, but that tells you something. Um, that simple isn't, isn't easy, right? Simple could be hard, but simple. You know what to do. And look at verse 14. Wait for the Lord. And again, he says it again later, right? Yes, wait for the Lord. It's simple. You're not out of your trial. You wait for the Lord. I mean, you keep pursuing the Lord. You, you keep looking to how he's guiding you, seeing the do- what doors he opens, what people he brings into your life, all that. But there's an, an, this attitude associated with waiting. To wait for the Lord is to confidently, to confidently expect God's perfect work in his perfect timing. That's what it means to wait. Confidently expect God's perfect work in his perfect timing. I like Psalms 130. Psalms 135 says, Wait for the Lord, my soul does wait, and in his word I do hope. So waiting for the Lord involves hope. Hope in that God will act on his promises in a and a confident expectation there that God will act on his promises. Now, David brackets that with, with, these, with these two commands here, wait for the Lord. He bra- uh, those are bracketed around this, this phrase here, be strong and let your heart take courage. Now, I'm sure that sounds a little familiar to you, right? Strong and courage. Be strong and courageous. Moses said it to Israel. Joshua said it to Israel when they're gonna, about to enter the promised land. David says it to, Sol- uh, to Solomon. If you look back at those passages, we don't have time now, but if you look back at those passages, what you will see is that that phrase, be strong and courageous, is followed by a strong dependency on the Lord. In fact, in each of those three scenarios, after saying be strong and courageous, it's not that long after, like a few words later, that they say the Lord is with you. That's why you can be strong and courageous. Not because you're you're strong already, like you're a super Christian faith, have super Christian faith or something. It's because the Lord is with you. That's that resilience of faith. It's trusting that God will act according to his promises and expecting him to. And in the meantime, pushing forward, recognizing that, or realizing that God is with you. So we see the fearlessness of faith, the focus of faith, the cry of faith, and the resilience of faith. So what, what, do we, what do we do with all these? Three things that I want you to consider. One, I want you to examine yourself. Where do you put your trust in? What will shake you up to your core if something is gone tomorrow? What could be gone that will shake you up? You can only have that fearless faith if your trust is completely in Christ. It cannot be in yourself it cannot be in others. It can't be in your money. It can't be in your own works. It has to be only in Christ. And if Christ is not the most trusted relationship that you have, then I ask you to turn now to Christ. Look what he did. See him as your, as your Savior and submit to him as your Lord. So examine yourself. Second thing I would say, be prepared to wait. Be prepared to wait. It is a difficult thing. I know we, we all want to be in charge. We want to say when we're doing it at what time we're doing it. Um, I think in our culture, waiting is seen as inefficient sometimes. Right? If you have to wait three seconds for a web browser to load, it's inefficient, you throw away your computer. But, but to be prepared to wait means that you go back to your theology. 
go back to who God is to you. Christ is your salvation. He is your light. He is your refuge. He paid the ultimate price of dying for you on the cross. So how much more could we wait for his perfect timing? And finally, stay focused on the finished work of Christ. And to illustrate that, I'm just going to read Romans 8. Turn with me if you like. Romans 8. And I'm going to read verse 31, 39. Stay focused on the finished work of Christ. Look at what this finished work of Christ does for us. I'm starting in verse 31. What then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who is against us? He who did not spare his own son, but delivered him over for us all? How will he not also with him freely give us all things? Who will bring a charge against God's elect? God is the one who justifies. Who is the one who condemns? Christ Jesus is the one who died. Yes, rather, who was raised, who is at the right hand of God, who also intercedes for us. Who will separate us from the love of Christ? Will tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or peril or sword? Just as it is written, for your sake we are being put to death all day long. We are considered as sheep to be slaughtered. But in all these things, we overwhelmingly conquer through him who loved us. For I am convinced, for I am convinced that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor any other created thing will be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Let's pray. Father, we have the utmost confidence in you and your love for us and that you are working all things out for our good. Lord, we know that we could trust in you, but at the same time, Father, we pray that you would help our unbelief. Lord, in those areas in our lives that that we struggle to trust in you, that we struggle to, to give it up to you, to let your, your, your timing come and, and be content with that. Father, I pray that you would help us to, to get our focus off our troubles and to get focus on you, to stay focused on Christ. Father, we pray with David, we proclaim with David that you are our light, that you are salvation, that you are our stronghold. Lord, we run to you and we are safe. So we praise you for that, Lord. And we look forward to the day when we come before you in perfect fellowship, in perfect holiness, and worship you perfectly. Praise Jesus' name. Amen. Mm-hmm.